The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. You're listening to the Bleacher Connection, a part of the Belly Up Sports Network. Here are your hosts, Ken and Trevor. And welcome back to the show, everyone. Trevor, how you doing? Are you you actually warming up down in in your neck of the woods, or is it still cold as hell? Uh, it's been cold as hell all week. Lots of snow. Definitely not what you want to see in the first couple of weeks of March. You're trying to, you know, you're thinking, "Yay, winter's almost over." Nah, <laughs> no, we got nailed big time this week, and uh, I think next week it's supposed to start warming up. Fingers crossed. That's it for winter, but. <clears throat> these uh these parts of the woods you can get snow in may june july august like get just out of nowhere it's no it doesn't stay thank god at, at um at that time but you know it, it uh, their may long weekend is well known for getting lots of snow in this area so hopefully hopefully winter's pretty much over i'm sick and tired of the cold it's been you know minus minus 20 let's say ballpark for about two weeks now since i went to saskatchewan when it was minus 40 there three weeks ago it's been cold ever since like i'm I'm done done with winter and just tired of it Uh, i was in lethbridge last weekend and you know a beautiful drive down on the friday on the sunday snowing crap roads on the way home you know it's about a two and a half three hour drive that's you know, I, I was exhausted because I had to like just you have to pay attention so much harder and like focus and oh, what should be just a little hop, skip, and a jump was a uh, very long and exhausting drive home last Sunday. Uh, I oh. didn't get a chance, didn't get to record last weekend either. You know, some of us had you know family family functions to attend. You know, my daughter did really well at her figure skating competition in Lethbridge, and as always, I love love going back to that city brings back a lot of memories uh toured the university of lethbridge again and actually ran into an old work friend who is now a a big wig with the pronghorn athletics and i was walking out or i was walking in and she was walking out and it was like oh my goodness had a big got a chance to catch up for about half an hour she gave us some free pronghorn swag as i can word some of his pronghorn swag as we record right now you know like you would agree with me, both of us, Lethbridge has a very soft place in our hearts. Lots of good things happened in our lives there. I met my wife there. I, you know, got my job that I'm still at there. Just it, lots of, lots of great memories. Oh, yeah, it's lots of fun. Like, already having the uh, the talk with, with my wife about once the baby does come and maybe on a long weekend when, you know, we can take a trip down and, you know, spend the weekend down there and actually show her where where I went to where we went to university and, you know, had a lot of good times. So, you know, kind of figured that would be something we would do over the next little while while she's off and it kind of have that, uh, the weekends to do that. So um, the, the, the funny thing is when you get there, it's nothing. Like, I don't want to say nothing's changed, but it's still very, like I can still navigate around that city with my eyes closed. I could get anywhere. Just give me an address. I know where it is. I like all the, it's just such a, I always liked Lethbridge because it's such an easy city to get around. Other oh, than yeah. you got these big ass, you got these big ass coolies in the way dividing the city in <laughs> half. And 
you know, there may have been a few nights where I had a couple too many drinks uh, at one of the local establishments on the other side of the coolies. That yeah, you got to walk that. Oh, you got to make that walk. It's not so fun, but hey, the dumb, the dumb shit you do when you're 20, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, but, I managed to walk from I think it was uh, well past the mall. I was like, I was about as far away as I could be at one of the nightclubs there, and uh, uh, more than a little inebriated, and had to make that walk home. And it uh, the the long walk down, followed by the long walk up, is not fun. Yeah, the way getting... down isn't bad. It's it's the way up. <laughs> well, it's also the uh, the two hundred mile per hour winds that you're getting hit with that uh, yeah. always seem to be in your face, no matter which direction you're facing. That uh, keeps it, you know, keeps you from getting a good pace going. It uh, it, it can really hold you up. It, but Lethbridge is great. So you know, we talked about you know doing that and like even making it a weekend with you guys if you wanted to come. Like you know, go down. Stay at a hotel, go tour the city with the with all the kids, and and have a have a fun time. So I'm always up for a trip to Lethbridge. I love it yeah. down there. Yeah, so that was I was going to talk about that probably off air, but yeah, that was uh, ah, sure. The yeah. wife and I just had <laughs> not too long ago. So <laughs> might as well, well do we it here. Can, We're talking now, and we can potentially meet up with friend of the show, John Easthope, who lives down in that area. I believe he's about yeah. half an hour south of Lethbridge, but I think that's uh, that's his stomping ground. So be a great chance to a great great excuse to have to meet up with our buddy john so absolutely yeah well you were away last week and i know we're not going to cover off a lot of it because we're kind of already a week out and old news but we did uh we did miss the recapping of the trade deadline the actual day was uh deadline boring but uh everything else leading up to it was great and I know today we're going to, when we get to around the boards, we're going to talk about our teams and kind of what the hell is going on with them. So we'll probably talk a little, you know, Canucks Flames trade deadline uh, in that part of the show. But uh, we're going to kick it off with Are You Kidding Me? Are You Kidding Me? It's brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com. Use the code BELLYUPFANTASY for 20% off. Trevor, I know you got one that you wanted to start off with. So why don't you... Uh, Go ahead. Well, I'm going to go to the world of the NBA to start off. And one of my favorite NBA players, Fred Van Vliet. He's always been, you know, always one of my favorites. He took the hard way, bet on himself, is now highly successful. Very good, very good uh, NBA point guard. He went off the other night on a referee. Uh more than went off. I don't think I've ever, ever heard a player be this outspoken to a referee. And I think his his somewhat exact words were, Ben Taylor fucked this game up. And he dropped multiple F-bombs and insinuated that Ben Taylor has got it out for the, him, got it out for the Raptors, got it out for lots of teams in, in the NBA. Uh, it is probably one of the worst officials in the NBA. I don't know. There's a lot of F-bombs that I was trying to process in the middle of, of this whole rant. And, and I just got to say, I love this. I love it. It's not just because it's a player on my team. I love it. The fact that officials in any league aren't, they aren't held to accountability to me. Are you kidding me? Why are officials not held accountable? You can't say tiddly boo against a referee in any league. Now, I'm not saying it should be 
you know, open mic night every night against the referee. But if they are bad, they should know about it. And this affects the players' livelihoods. It really does. And it also affects the referees' livelihoods. I get that. I'm not saying every player gets a, a, a free pass every night to rail on a referee, but it was refreshing. As a fan, it was refreshing to hear Fred Van Vliet go off because you quote tweeted him and, and, and tagged him. It was like, tell us how you really feel. I loved it. I, I love knowing how the, they really feel. There should be more of this. But now oh, there's got to be some rules around it. I do believe Van Vliet did cross a line. But the fact that he was like, I don't give a shit about the fine. I'm taking it. And he got, I think, a $30,000 fine. So he, he, he got his money's worth. He got yeah, his money's he earned worth. it. He earned it. But I, I honestly think there should be a little bit more of this because I don't feel like officials are held accountable enough by the leagues, by the players. And they do have, you know, quite often a very negative impact on, on games. And the NBA is one of the worst for star powers getting star power getting calls and LeBron well, getting the call Clippers and, too. Yeah. And, and like, and, yeah. And there's a natural rivalry there for obvious reasons with Kawhi Leonard and, you know, the, the calls were going against the Raptors down the stretch. And it wasn't the first time that week that that happened. It happened earlier in the week as well. And I get it. it now a lot of this is just frustration over a, a kind of season gone wrong for the Raptors. I understand that point as well but i'm all for it i am all for players speaking their minds we want personalities we want to grow the game you want a younger generation to get excited having the players have personality and speaking their minds there's worse ways to go about that so good on you van vliet maybe dial it back a little bit next time but i appreciated the honesty and i loved it i love the openness of it wow I think, you know, you look at players, they're criticized by the media, the fans, everything, you know, sometimes their own coaches and GMs and owners and things like that. And officials, for whatever reason, are untouchable and everybody has a bad day at work, right? Everyone screws something up at work every now and then, some more than others. And that's why their resume is eight feet long, but it, it just, it doesn't. When you have such an impact on the game, right, it, it, you should be held accountable for it. And it kind of goes to, like, you take uh, the Raptors again. Scotty Barnes got ejected from a game when the referee, who's 20 feet away from him, 30 feet away from him, tees him up twice when the ref that's standing next to him doesn't do a damn. Like, now, who knows if Scotty Barnes has said something directly to him that, but, like, you're telling me if something was said, how did the guy standing next to him not make that call versus the guy in a loud arena that's 20, 30 feet away from whatever it was. How does, how does that happen? Right. You know, last night I saw a comment on Twitter about Craig Simpson calling out the refereeing in the, the Leafs Oilers game, you know, right. And like I there was a call in the Canucks game last night where Claude Giroux with under a minute left or about a minute left and on the power play, absolutely two hands to stick out of Tyler Myers's hands but as the puck's coming to him in the defensive zone he gets two minutes for interference or slashing whatever they call them and the comment from Thomas Drance who covers the Canucks and I'm not a huge fan of says well yeah that was a penalty but the timing of the game and them being on the power play probably should have been let go 
I'm, I'm sorry, it's 4-2 at this point in time. If you let that go, Drew gets the puck, comes out, makes it 4-3. They still got time to try and tie the game up. Like, that's a penalty at 10 seconds into the game, and that's a penalty with 10 seconds left in a game. If it's a penalty, it's a penalty. Like, the the whole – and that's what sometimes the, the officials get criticism for in any sport is what's a penalty early in a game it's not a penalty late in a game, right? Or, well, we've called four penalties in a row on this team. We can't – it just – there's so much inconsistency that there's criticism deserved of, of officials. And I do think that they should have to answer for a bad night on the court within, as you said, maybe like a more respectful way. They should have to meet with the media. They should have to explain something. The, the league head office for officials should have to explain a shitty night Right. Like something needs to be done so that these guys aren't treated as above the law or gods that can't be touched because they do impact the game. And we've seen it in the NBA where one of their uh, was it Tim Donahue or whatever was betting on games and affecting the outcome. Now, he faced criminal charges on that, but that's still that's the kind of impact they have in it. And so the NBA having officials who are out for players isn't something that's new. Because you could go through the league and say, oh, this player gets more fouls called on him when this person's refing a game. This person, uh, this team wins more when this team, this ref is officiating a game. It's, you can see that. And the referees are there to enforce the rules as per the rule book. And that's all they should be there to do. Now, one thing that the NBA does that I kind of wish some other leagues would do, but I, I don't know if it's actually correcting anything yet. Is they actually get after every game release the errors made by the the officials, and you know the missed calls and and that stuff, which I good. They're at least you know admitting, hey, we probably should have called that. We probably shouldn't have called that. But is that actually correcting the root cause? I don't know that it is because unless you're actually punishing the referees for these calls, and maybe they are, maybe they are, it's just not official. But if you're not actually punishing it, are you actually correcting the root cause, or are you just kind of going? Yeah, we we done fucked up, but eh, yeah, whatever. Hey, we're, not so, doing right, right. we're not doing anything about it. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. So, and I'm I'm gonna kind of go go keep it with, with my Are you kidding me? Within officiating, and, and go to the NCAA, which is something I don't normally do because, to be honest, um, I don't think very highly of the NCAA as an organization, not the players and the the sports within it, but how the NCAA. NCAA runs themselves. I don't agree with it, so I don't support it. Um, that's side note to this, but there was a game that just the other day where two outs, it's the, the bottom of the ninth. The The score was, I don't know, like 6-2 or something like that, and the, the home team is trailing, obviously. Two outs, the, there's two one, one strike on the batter. Pitch comes in, and it's it's an iffy call, but it's called strike two. Batter doesn't like it. He kind of argues with the ump a little bit, kind of shows him where it was on the outside of the plate. Nothing happens. Steps back in the batter's box for the next pitch. And this one is not just two feet outside, but it is low and outside. And the ump brings him up like it just it makes a show of it and ringing him up with a nice big old punch out and then starts walking away. And his batter starts losing it and starts going after him. And, I, and, and a lot of people, rightfully so, gave the catcher from the, the opposing team a lot of credit for stopping the batter from potentially doing anything stupid. 
in getting himself suspended for arguing with an umpire or anything, or, you know, maybe chest bumping them like they use, like they get in each other's faces. But this goes to that whole officiating thing. If you didn't like the fact that you thought he showed you up after the second strike call, throw him out of the game, end the game that way. Don't end the game on a ridiculous pitch that is so far outside that there's no way you can even justify calling it a strike. That there is where you get the official, the criticism of the officials for calls like that, for trying to make the game about them. Like, oh, you're going to try and show me up? Let me show you what I can do. I think that's an absolute joke. I hope this guy doesn't officiate um, another game at any level because um, he's petty. You had it. You have a, uh, an option within the rules that if a player is showing you up, a player is being disrespectful, you can toss him from the game. And guess what? Tossing him from the game makes it an out and the game's over, which is what you we're going to do on the next pitch anyways, clearly. So are you kidding me? Use what's in the your toolbox to discipline a player other than making them look stupid and yourself. Like it's the, the batter doesn't, the batter looks bad for arguing, maybe a little over the top on a marginal call, but you look worse for how you ended that game. I just thought it was a complete joke. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot else to add to that. I totally agree. It, it, fans are there to see the players play, not have games decided by you know crazy umpiring and, and bad calls. You, you just brought up a perfect word that is going to lead me into my next, are you kidding me? And, and you said toolbox. It, it's quite often known, you know, around major league baseball that, you know, you're looking for a five tool player. The guy's got all the tools in his toolbox. Well, maybe there's a sixth tool that we're just not aware of Ken that um, Alex Bregman is, is working on Alex Bregman, third baseman, Houston Astros is working on the bounce pass to the second baseman on a double play. He's, Wildly inconsistent, according to himself, on his throws to second base. And he feels like this may give a little bit more control. So the idea is, is he's going to throw one hopper to the second baseman so he doesn't, you know, airmail it into right fields. Are you kidding me? Or um, This is Major League Baseball. This, this isn't Little League. This isn't, this isn't T-ball. If you can't make a throw from third to second. Well, well, or if you're Jose Altuve, you can't make it from second to first. So, you know, maybe they are onto something here. Maybe the, the Houston Astros are onto something here because they have a history of players who can't throw from one base to the other. So maybe, maybe they're going all Tampa Bay Rays and they're going to revol revolutionize baseball, you know, instead of having openers and, <laughs> and having 17 relievers every game, they're just going to start throwing bounce passes and bases. But th this is, this is ridiculous. Like uh, you sent me the clip of it. I'd already seen it. And I was just like, what is this? Like it, it, it looks awkward. It, to me, it, it's slower. Like yeah. you're taking the momentum of the baseball away by bouncing it off the ground. I, I just like, this isn't little league. You're you're a professional major league baseball player, and you can't throw it what's you know forty feet online between bases. No, I get if you're like 
way in the hole and try to do a, a spinning, you know, jumping 360 to, you might throw it offline, but your feet are planted. You're throwing it to second and <laughs> you can't do it. Oh boy. I laughed hard when I saw that. This, this to me is such Bush league bullshit. I can't, I can't get behind this at all because you're a bloody professional. I almost dropped an F-bomb there because I, I just I can't believe this shit. It, it, you're a professional. Your entire job is to get paid millions of dollars to play baseball. Guess what? You don't, sure, you don't have a lot of off days in the season, but you don't play every game at 9 a.m. So you could get up, go out to the field, and, oh, I don't know, practice your throws? Uh, you got, like, what, how many months of an off season? Practice your throws? Uh, you got this little thing called spring training. Practice your throws. And if you can't do it, find another goddamn position to play where you can make a throw. Because that, to me, like, it's almost, and I'm not saying you are, but it's almost ins insulting to little league players to say that it's little league. Because if they do it, it's by accident. And guess what? They practice once or twice a week, and they get better. This guy's a pro, and he can't make a 90-foot throw to second base. And you're right, it is going to slow it down. How many teams are going to give that much of a little bit more oomph if you're the runner going down first? And you're like, I hit it to Bregman? I'm safe at first now, right? Like, if I'm the shortstop for the opposing team, you know what I'm doing? I'm watching him and figuring out what part of the field he throws it into for that bounce. And when I go out for the first time to play shortstop, I am just tearing the shit up of that base path with my cleats. Because how many times is like, okay, sure, you do it once and it works. But what if you hit a divot? What if you hit a rock? What if you hit what is something? That ball's going to end up maybe in right field. It could end up in left field. And now guess what? That runner from first is going to potentially score. That runner that should be on first or out is now going to be on second. You're either going to be second and third or second and, and a run in on an error like that because you're firing it into the ground and it could go anywhere. Like, how, are you going to practice this in a in a rainy type situation too, so that you can get the slick and you know, okay, well, I got to throw a curveball into the ground to get the right spin. To, like, it's such garbage. You're a professional ball player. Figure it out, man. You got the time and the money to do it. Just don't make the, the you're making the game look like a joke. What are you going to do the first time we see a a, a six four three double play turn where Bregman bounce? Did the bounce pass the second and all two they did the bounce pass the first what are you gonna uh, do then <laughs> well if i happen to have an astros game on it's clearly i fell asleep and it was the next show on and i woke up to it but if it does happen like i'm just it's such a bad like to me it's such a bad look this isn't the harlem Glo globetrotters of baseball right like this is baseball why if you can't do it figure it out like it's not hard like it's embarrassing honestly if, if that's what it comes down to it's embarrassing and the fact that you're saying oh i've been working on it good for you it, you shouldn't have to you should be working on actually how to fix the problem and finding some bs way to get around it but i mean hey it's the astros we all know they like to take shortcuts yeah absolutely yeah. um gonna kind of take it a little more of a bit of a serious note here and are you kidding me trevor we, you know we kind of talked about this it, it all kind of started with ivan Provorov of the philadelphia flyers and uh 
not wanting to wear a, a pride warm-up jersey for 15 minutes because it went against his religious views. Yeah. Um, he he is not the only person who in the, in the league is Russian Orthodox. There are several of them who have wore a pride warm-up jersey on the nights for their teams. Uh, the Rangers did it. Uh, Shesterkin and Panarin, who are of the same religion, wore the jersey. The Islanders chose not to do it, Not chose not to do anything outside of the boards. The, none of the players had the tape. None of the players wore the jersey. Um, didn't no, Nothing was done on ice for their pride night. It was all in the stands and on the boards for their advertising. It was in, in, in the rainbow colors. And, and most recently, on the day of, right before it was supposed to happen, the Minnesota Wild backed out of wearing theirs. And the... Kind of lame ass excuse that came was it was out of respect to some of the players who for their against their religious beliefs and and by no means am I singling out the players when I when I say that like the rumors were is that Kirill Kaprizov is Russian Orthodox as well and I think someone else on on the team or whatever is as well i can't remember and again this is me not singling out saying they were the ones that said don't do it i don't i won't do it it was just a name that was brought up and where i say are you kidding me to this is that these players that potentially are refusing to wear the pride ones will go ahead and wear every other theme not say theme night but recognition night for other things like the military which Kirill Kaprizov, Ivan Provorov, and other Russian players have all worn U.S. military honoring warm-up jerseys on those nights. Now, we all know that Russia and the U.S. don't have the friendliest relationships when it comes to military at all times. But you're okay to wear that, but not this one. And I think that's it's such a joke. Like, are you kidding me? I, I really wish I had saved this one. I thought I did. I thought I sent it to you. Um, I may have sent it to you and John, but it was a, a, a fan who said from a queer fan's perspective, putting a pride warm-up jersey on does not make you gay. It does not make you trans. It does not make you any of that. It Just like as a fan, putting on a jersey does not make me a professional. It shows me showing my support. That's all that jersey is. And he had he had quite like it was a fairly long thread of several tweets. And it was probably one of the most well thought out things I've seen said. But it was coming from someone's perspective who that night was for. And we saw other pictures online on Twitter with fans uh, at those games saying. As a, you know, um, queer hockey fan, thank you. This is important to me. I appreciate like you see the appreciation for it, for who it's supposed to be. And I think it's a, it, it's just a joke that these players are making such a big deal about it. Travis Dermott has pride tape on his game stick at the top every game. From the Vancouver Canucks, he did it as a Maple Leaf. He's doing it as a Canuck. He always has the pride tape there. And what I really think is kind of... You know, so I saw this point brought up too. It's not my own. I don't want to take credit for it. Is Lou Lamorello can tell a player you can't you can't have a beard, you can't do this. He's like the NHL's uh, George Steinbrenner, like no sideburns, no facial hair. 
yeah, like, you know, players are fine with that being told, Hey, you can't look the way you want to look. You need to look the way I want you to look. That's fine. But they draw a line at, I'm not wearing a pride jersey. It's a joke. Like we're, it's 2023. It's not a big deal to put a jersey. Yeah. I'm, this is a touchy subject. And I, I am so against the, the teams not doing anything. To me, it's, it's like you just said, it's a jersey. And the part that really bothers me is they're not doing it. The teams are not wearing the, the teams are choosing to not wear the jerseys because they're protecting their players that are homophobes. That's the reason why they won't wear the jerseys because the, the, let's say the one, two on a team that won't wear it, they're then going to be outed. Who cares? Yeah. You just said it is 2023, like have an open mind. How does it in any fashion affect your life? Whether somebody else chooses to be gay or straight or transgender, how does it even remotely impact your life one bit? It doesn't. So what's the big deal? What is the big deal? And I get it might go against your religion. I get that. But honestly, what's the big deal? You're wearing a jersey. You're trying to... You know, everybody talks about promoting in, inclusivity in, in in the world in general, not even just in sports. Yet, this is just the most divisive thing ever. And then you get some, you know, the, the Minnesota Wild come out with some wishy-washy. Well, we're doing lots of other things. It's like, yeah, but this is one of the biggest visual representations of the whole night. And you choose yeah. not to do that. And it also says a lot about the organization are is this the core beliefs of the organization in general is this the owner saying bloody hell we're wearing those jerseys we don't know that but it very well could be and if that's the case then this whole include in you know inclusivity and hockey is for everyone is a bunch of bullshit i honestly think it is a bunch of bullshit it's not it's still for white privileged men yeah and you know and i all the the grade on all the you know, the black players that have made it and there should be more in the league. And I can guarantee there's a lot of, uh, of gay players in the league, but they won't say anything. No, they won't say anything. None of them. Like there's a reason nobody ever comes out in professional sports. It's very rare. Cause well, it's, it's, not. it's not until after they're done playing. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not. And at the end of the day, how does it affect your life in any fashion? Who cares if your best friend is gay? Who cares if your niece is gay? Who cares? Like, it, it really has no bearing on your life. And the fact that you choose to be, like, hateful and speak out against it is even worse. You're yeah. you're taking what should be a positive and, and magnifying and making it that much worse. Just, if you don't like it, then just turn a blind eye to it or scroll past the tweet on Twitter. Like, you don't have to say something and you don't... Nope. Don't you don't have to agree with it. I'm not telling you that you have to agree with it, but do you have to be outspoken against it? It it literally has no bearing on your life, whether somebody else is gay. It doesn't. So who cares? Well, and that's the thing is everybody wants the freedom to do what they want to do and be who they want to be, but they don't want to give that freedom back. Right? Like they want to be like I said, gatekeepers to what should be, right? It, it, it's, 
It's, it's insane. Like the Islanders chose not to do anything for Pride Night, but they they wore green warm up jerseys for Irish Irish Heritage Night. Right, so it's okay to be Irish on Long Island. It's not okay to be gay. Right? Like, like that's you can't pick and choose what you're gonna do. You either gotta do none of it or you do all of it. And and it's put in the players' contracts that you will participate in these. Like it, it's it's the wording is there, but they're choosing to not do it. And I I don't know. It's just everyone wants to the freedoms to be who they want to be, and say so they should. Right. When it comes down to whether it's sexuality or religion, you know, I'm not a religious person and I don't judge anyone who who is religious or chooses to believe. I that's not for me, but I don't I mean, outside of Scientology, I might judge a little bit if that's which route you choose to go. Or the um, flat earthers. <laughs> yeah, because Scientology is a bunch of bullshit cult and flat earth. Give me give me a break, guys. Even flat earther proved himself wrong. But the whole thing is. Just personally, I, I don't, to me, it doesn't matter what you want to believe in. That's your belief. You're free to believe what you want to believe in. This is, I'm free to not, to not choose not to believe in organized religion or things like that. I'm not going to tell you that it doesn't exist. It might, like, you know, like, that's not my place. And, and I would accept whatever religion you want it to be. It doesn't matter, right? Whoever you choose to love is your choice. It has no effect on my life, right? So who am I to try and say, that it, it, what you're doing is not correct because that's not it, right? As long as no one's, if you're living your life and no one's getting hurt by it, then you're not doing anything wrong, right? Like that's, I just don't get why it's such a hot topic, right? Like it's not the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s anymore where it's so taboo. Like, it, you know, it's not this whole, it's nothing new. People have been, this way for years it just it, it should be it is more accepted now and it shouldn't even be a question no one should care like that's where we are in like it shouldn't even be a talking point who okay. someone else loves the only thing that we should care about is being decent human beings and yeah. whether you're a democratic a republic in canada a conservative a a liberal gay straight black white muslim the only thing that should be important is that you're a good person. It doesn't matter what your affiliations are. Your affiliations should just make you a good person. And that's the people I choose to surround myself with. I don't care if what religion they are. I don't care. If they're a good person, then I'm going to choose to associate with them. What's wrong with just being a, a good person? Yeah. Why do you have to try to shove your beliefs down you know, somebody else's throat? Like, I, I I don't choose to do that. I'm vocal about my beliefs, but I'm not saying you're wrong because you choose. I'm open-minded about it. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is let's just be nice to each other. Let's be good human beings. That's where you'll see real change instead of, you know, fighting each other and, and you know, trying to divorce, you know, your political party, divorcing itself from the country. Like, come on, like, can't we all just get along? And, and these are the reason they, they bring these things out is to try to get us to all get along and try to have an understanding. You'll walk a mile in somebody else's shoes for a day like that. That is what it just frustrates me about this the most is we're actually trying to create acceptance. And it's not even just in you know pride nights and stuff like that. It's 
it's all over the world. We're trying to create acceptance and, and understanding. And it's just, it feels like we've taken 10 steps back on this one. It felt like we had finally taken five steps forward and, and just be good to each other people. Well, and that's the thing, like you see it on like when Canadian teams do the indigenous nights and things like that, the vitriol and the racism and the things that come out of that as well. It, it doesn't matter what night it is. It, it's, I find sometimes sports is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be entertaining. It's supposed to be a getaway from your problems, your stresses. It's supposed to be fun, entertaining. And man, can it be divisive and hate-filled. And it just, I, I find more problems come out of sports. It, not even for the on-field product, on-ice product, whatever you're watching. Just from the things that are going on. Like, I, it's just, it's gotten really weird over the last little bit, you know? Well, it's because everybody can have their opinion heard on their smartphone in 10 seconds. Yeah. And you can do it behind the, you can be a keyboard warrior. Nobody ever, you know, you can hide behind a generic name, you know, Mike 795201 at whatever on Twitter can have a, a generic, you know, blank Twitter profile and spew off whatever garbage you want to say. That's why it's a problem. Yeah. There's and then when no, that, there, there's no repercussions, there's no consequences for your actions because you're allowed to be anonymous. And again, you can have your viewpoints, but you don't need to shove those down other people's throats. And, and, and a viewpoint is just that it's a viewpoint. It doesn't make you correct. Right. Yeah. Just because, just because that's what you believe doesn't make it right. You know, it's, uh, it's crazy. It's just, can't we all just get along like i it just if it's not something you want to support or watch that night and take a night then off and, and watch don't. watch 81 of 82 games it, it, it just it's not that difficult um if it's not for you don't go don't watch it's it's not difficult right yeah, move they, on don't don't yeah. let it dictate your life for that day or that week or whatever like just move on people yeah it's a bit of a, a heavier topic, but I think, you know, we tend to sometimes take those because it's, we both feel that things like this need to be discussed. So it, uh, yep. it it's, it's crazy that we're still having to talk about this stuff and that people just can't be who they want to be, but let us know on Twitter. Um, Mike seven, three, two, five, nine, whatever you want. <laughs> if you're offended by that, we apologize. Sorry, Mike, bunch of numbers that, uh, or anyone else, bunch of numbers. If you're offended that we're calling you out for being anonymous trolls, um, let us know what you think on Twitter. Trevor's at the BleacherCon one. I'm at the BleacherCon two. And we're going to go around the boards, Trevor, but we're just going to keep it to two rinks this time, I think. Um, Ugh, do we have to talk about our teams? We <laughs> should. I mean, it's, uh, it's our teams. We, we surprisingly, we don't do it often. And, you know, you kind of approached me and said, I think it's time to talk about our teams again. And and I can understand this year why we don't want to talk about our teams. <laughs> it, it hasn't been the most enjoyable season. Uh, no. And it's been, um, I think both of us would say it's been a letdown. But I think we're past the trade deadline. We're both, I think, pretty comfortable that our teams most likely aren't going to make the playoffs. Let's start dissecting it. And Ken, I'm going to kind of open the floor to you. 
what went wrong this year? Well, the Canucks. Yeah, I mean everything to start. It uh, there was a lot of promise. You know, we thought they'd be a playoff team. We thought they'd be fighting second, third in the division. They they would be that they would be there. That they would be where Los Angeles and Seattle are, and Los Angeles and Seattle would be further down, and Vegas wouldn't be there. But those teams had something the Canucks didn't have, and that was consistency, structure, and uh, lack of distractions. I guess um, the Canucks have been. The, up until Bruce Boudreaux got let go, and again, we've discussed this, and I've said I don't necessarily think he was the problem. The team was full of distractions. The Bo Horvat trade, um, you know, are they going to sign him? Are they going to trade him? What are they going to do? Um, you know, JT Miller, who is fully coming and said, like, you know, I, I let some bad habits creep into my game in the beginning of the season, and he was very open about it. Like, just last night's game against uh, – Ottawa beforehand and in the morning it was speaking to the media said I I understand I obviously saw and heard what was being said and I realized that yeah it was because I let some bad habits creep into my game and he's worked to fix that it, it I think once Horvat had been traded Boudreaux had been let go just before that um the team's still not good they had you know injuries to Thatcher Demko who started the season off poorly before he got hurt, missed three months worth of games to, to that injury. They didn't have good goaltending. The defensive lapses from veterans, not young guys, veterans. Tyler Myers he likes to get, do giveaway passes up the middle in the first 20 seconds of the game, and he did it again last night, almost led to a goal. Just the... the Defensive letdowns for some guys you expect more out of more from has been quite horrible this season. Um, it's just been bad. And I, I'm going to kind of talk about since Talkit took over and Rutherford is kind of shut up and is saying less in the media. The team's not really. They're, they're, they're on a four-game heater in garbage time right now because they're not making the playoffs. They'd have to essentially, you know, win out the remaining games, 17 games they have to have any glimmer of a hope, and everyone ahead of them would have to lose their games, which is not happening. Um, but I, I'm seeing things come out of, the, out of the team that are better. They're allowing fewer shots. They're allowing fewer high danger chances They're, you know, they've gone now a couple games where they, their penalty kill hasn't cost them. They're not giving up five, six goals a game and trying to win a game seven, six, six, five. The, the games aren't as high scoring. They're still blowing leads here and there, but they're coming back and either getting a point or, you know, I'll tell, I'll take the game against Boston. They, they lost that game three, one. And yes, Allmark scored a goal, but that was a game where three months ago, I would have gone, holy shit, we're going to lose this game 8 nothing," And they didn't. They're playing differently. You're seeing more of a structure, and I, I kind of like what Talkit is doing and saying it's not about the outcome. It's not about wins and losses. It's about how we're playing the game and how we're going about it, which I think is huge because He's trying to build something right now. 
And I know the Canuck fans on Twitter absolutely hate the fact that the Canucks are winning games right now because they all think just if we lose, we're going to get Bedard. Well, guess what? No, because that's not how it works. You could be the shittiest team in the league and you still could have New Jersey at 14 win the lottery and take that first pick. Oh, and then someone else at 11 wins the second pick and someone at nine wins the third pick and now you're picking fourth, right? Like the higher percentage sure is great, but when they talk about a retool and rebuild, Quinn Hughes, Elias Pedersen, Thatcher Demko have all said, we're here for the long term. We're not, we do not want to be part of a rebuild because the time that rebuild is over, their careers, their primes are done. So a retool, if your best players are saying, we don't want to be part of that, you're going to listen to them and go, okay, then we need to find a way to do it on the fly. I like what the Canucks did at the deadline. Uh, moving out, I mean, this is such a minor move, but moving out um, Riley Stillman was probably the best move they made because that guy was just horrendous defensively. And how he was always in the lineup was because of injuries. And when you have those injuries, you got to put people in that don't fit. And right now, the players are working for jobs. we got a lot of guys up from Abbotsford on the Canucks, especially on the defense. Christian Rolanin has played very well, and he's he's auditioning for a job. Guillaume Brisevoir is auditioning for a job. You know, Noah Juleson, same thing. These guys are all working for a job to show, hey, this is what I can bring to the table. The guys that are currently on the roster, the forwards, are saying, hey, I want to be here. I, you know, I need, I want to stay. I want to play. They're all auditioning for jobs. And that's why you will never have a team go full tank unless you're Arizona. And that's just because they don't have a proper roster built to actually compete. But any other team, the players are not going to lose on purpose for a chance at getting a player who may not turn out as the player you think they are five years down the road and you're still in the same position. So the players will never tank. What I am seeing from the Canucks, regardless of whether it's a, a W or an L, in it, I'm liking it a lot more than I was previously this season. The Canucks have a long way to go. I actually liked the Heronic pickup. You know, we talked when we were talking about a Bo Horvat trade. I said Detroit, and I built my trade package around Philip Heronic, and the Canucks got him for the pick that uh, – they got from the Islanders and a second round, which is funny because, and everyone was bitching about it on Canucks Twitter, but everyone says right-hand D is the hardest to get, whether it's draft or free agency, it's the hardest position player to pick up. And we did that for a pick that, well, might be in this year's draft or it could be in next year's draft and it could be, 15 to 18 this season, or it could be 27th next year. Who knows? But also you don't have to wait five years to, f- to figure out if that right-hand DU draft is going to work out or not. You're getting a 25-year-old player who's a top four defenseman in the league, can play a 200-foot game defensively and offensively, and takes some pressure off of Quinn Hughes. You could have a Quinn Hughes-Ethan Bear pairing. You could have a Heronic and someone else pairing. And then you got two solid Oliver Eckman Larson. Eh, easy. That's a third pairing, maybe. But like you have two solid defensive pairings with that pickup. I liked that move. I liked what the Canucks did at the deadline because it they they did some things to 
retool and pick up other pieces. And I, I, I can't see how people would complain about picking up a player like Philip Peronic. Overall, there's hopefully potential for next season. I had said Kuzmenko was a player to watch when we talked with John, I think on his show it was. Kuzmenko's now got 32 goals. I think that's a pretty solid uh, rookie, non-rookie year for him because he's too old to count for it. But the guy's been a stud all season long, and you got to keep Patterson happy. And I think Bovillier and Kuzmenko could be his wingers going forward, and I think that would be a very good line. Bovillier's actually come over, and I know I'm not – trying to say, oh, he's better than Horvat, but he's actually out, not by much, but he has more points than Horvat in the same period since the trade. I think that worked out very well for the Canucks, especially getting Atu Ratu and essentially Philip Hronik. That is a hell of a trade. The Canucks did well on that. Yeah, you brought up kind of a renewed sense of optimism with the team since Target's taken over, and here's the direction I want to take it. You said the same thing last year when Bruce Boudreau took over and then all of a sudden the team started playing good and then it went off the rails fast under Boudreau. The, the, the Canucks, for some reason, like drama, off-ice drama, because you've still got you know Brock Besser, who's potentially been asked to be traded. You've still got every fan wanting to trade Connor Garland. They're just, it seems like a soap opera off the ice for the Canucks that really, really affects their on-ice product. And I don't know if that's ownership. I don't know if that's Rutherford. I don't know if it was Bruce Boudreau, A, B, and C. I don't know if it's the players. There's always something going on in Canuckland that affects the on-ice product. And it's, I don't want to call it a tire fire because there's a lot of good players in Vancouver, but it really affects because this is the second year in a row the Canucks are nowhere near the playoffs and they're too good to not be anywhere near the playoffs. Now goaltending's and we'll get in touch with that one when we talk about the flames here shortly. Goaltending has been a major reason for that. Like the Canucks goaltending has been absolutely horrific this year. And lo and behold, it's been okay the last week and they have some wins like shocker. Well, Demko's playing like Demko last year, last season. Right, and that's you see that his he's got a nine three two save percentage since coming back, and I will touch I'll touch on your whether it's fans, owners, or Rutherford or other. I'm going to say it's it's, the the fans are never happy. They're never content, and unless you're winning a cup, then you need to blow it all up. Rutherford caused his own problems. Aquilini likes to meddle, and I'm going to the other. I'm going to throw the media in there when you got guys yeah. like Thomas Drance who will never take a positive from a game and talk about it. He'll completely ignore the positives to shit on the team, regardless of what they do. Like he'd be the first to say the Canucks need to go out and get a right-handed D. He said that the Ronick move was the right move at the wrong time. Well, if you wait for the right time, which might be the off season, it's going to cost you a first, a second, and, and, and to get that player. Where Stevie Y had made a decision that they're going in a retool or rebuild or they're not going to win, so let's blow it up, which if I'm Dylan Larkin, I'm pissed. Um, so you, you ink that eight-year deal, and then you see guys like Ronick and Bertuzzi, his best friend, traded off the team. But guys like Drance are a problem in the media, and they get the fans riled up. They get the fans riled up, so then the, the fans go off on Twitter, and then the players see it, and and it just it snowballs, right? Talkit says he likes Besser. You know, 
Talkett has said he wants guys like Miller on the team. It's a lot of fan-driven and media-driven, as you called it, drama. And I think if you can tune that out, like I, I, I kind of looked at it as a ignoring the outside noise, which is what a lot of it is, which is all of a lot of what we see, almost only what we see as fans and podcasters. But the the difference between the the Boudreaux bump and the Talkit bump is Boudreaux came in and they like damn near ran the table with wins, and they're not doing that. You can see that the the bump in how they're playing, in my opinion, because obviously I watch every game as a paying customer, which is also why I'd never want to see them tank on purpose, is you're seeing how they play is different and how that is affecting the result. doesn't necessarily mean it's an, uh, a W. It just means, you know what? Instead of losing 6-2, it was a tight game and we lost 2-1 or 3-2. We were in the game as opposed to being completely shit kicked for 60 minutes and i think that's the difference this time with that coaching bump if you want to call it that i'm interested to see can the canucks get past this next year can thatcher demko if he's still here i'm assuming he will if he's still in vancouver can he rebound to be you know healthy and and be a top flight goalie uh, i see i see a lot of promise in vancouver because they they have you got a team that has Elias Patterson who's going to get you 100 points this year and Quinn Hughes who's going to get you 80 points this year, like anchors like that on your team. Like those are superstar players. You know, I, I'm not the biggest JT Miller guy. I think I, maybe a new coach will, I don't know, his effort on the ice just kind of, I've never been a JT Miller guy. I don't know why. Under talking has been I, a lot better. I think talking you know, can get through to him because they're similar players, I think. You know, Kuzmenko has been a bit of a revelation. He'll probably get somewhere in the 70-point range, might get 35, 40 goals. That's a revelation. That's a good find. You know, Brock Besser, I, a change of scenery might do that guy good, but he's, he seems to be playing better. But there's lots of good pieces here, and you you hit on it. You know, Rona coming in, he's a four defenseman. I don't know if he's a top-pairing defenseman, but he's definitely – uh, a solid upgrade on the back end. Granted, on the Canucks, that isn't that hard. There wasn't that many. And I'm not trying to take a shot. It's a reality. The Canucks' no, team I... core was not good. But I don't have an issue with trading. You had two first-round picks this year, and you turned one of them into a known commodity. What's wrong with that? Like, what is wrong with bringing in a player that you know what they are? A draft pick is a draft pick is a lottery ticket. And especially if it's in the 15 to 20 range – that guy may never play in the NHL. And it's not like you're going into this draft without a first-round pick. I originally yeah. highly questioned it. I was like, why are you know, pick a pick a lane here, Vancouver? Because it felt like they were selling, but then they were buying and then they were selling and then buying. And it was like pick a pick a lane and go. But then I was like, well, hang on a second. You still have a first-round pick this year, and you picked up a known commodity. What's wrong with that? Like uh, I I originally didn't like it, but I don't, actually don't have an issue with it. I think it was potentially a smart move. You know, you got a, a guy you can you know, potentially pair up with Quinn Hughes. You really can, and you have a top pair D, or you've got a solid number, you know, number two right side. Like, there's nothing wrong with picking up good players. There yeah. isn't. So, I'm interested. Can the Canucks do it next year? Can they rebound? Or is the same old shit going to happen again? And it's going to be a whole new 
you know, off ice drama that's going to affect the team. Cause this is a few years in a row. This isn't something new. Well, they're, they're and they not... just avoid it. Well, let's, let's take a look at the last couple of years. Like you go into it, the Travis green and, and Jim Benning getting fired. Right. Then you bring Boudreaux in for what seems to be, you know, to a year and a half, the rest of last year and this year, but there's the contract stuff and Rutherford making, you know, rough, ruffling feathers with his comments and a lot of uncertainty in that sense. Well, you got talk it for this year and I think two more. So there's certainty within your coaching staff. You're going to have the rest of this season, the off season training camp for him to send players away with what he wants them to work on under his style, his system. Um, He's a very honest coach. And some people are like, is, is he forgotten? He's not on TNT anymore by, but just his very public assessment of players in the, and the team. And he, I don't think he sugarcoats anything for them. And he tells them, and I think you've seen, like I've seen from watching the games, the, the bullshit JT Miller was doing before the lack of an effort, the losing his shit and all that kind of stuff is gone. And he's, he's, I mean, man, the guy's been blocking shots. He had five hits in the first period last night. Um, Someone took a run at, uh, or Kachuk came out and was throwing the body on everyone within the first five minutes. Well, JT returned it and made Tim Stutzla's life a lot harder and was putting the body on him early, getting under Kachuk's skin. Like, JT Miller has had a bit of a resurgence since Talkett came in, and that's probably because Talkett was able to talk to him the way he needed to be because Talkett was kind of that guy who could score, that guy who could hit, that guy he could do everything fairly well. And so I think that might resonate a little bit more with Miller. So I think you've seen a bit of a change in how he's been. Um, I, I think, you know, no one, they're going to talk, be talking about a Pedersen potential extension this off season. And I think that's going to be your biggest thing. That might be a talking point outside of that. The Canucks have got to move money because right now their cap hit is large going into next year. And they got to sign guys like Dermot and bear um, there's a few guys that are RFAs that need to get taken care of, but they've said there's moves that we can do in the off season that we're confident we are going to be just fine with the cap and have room. So maybe there's a off season move for Myers or an OEL or something. You don't want to buy him out because that's eight years of paying that money and you're not necessarily saving that much. You're saving, but it's a long time to take that hit. And we don't know what the cap's going to be next year. It could be 90 2 million, it could be 90, it could be whatever. I think the Canucks are going to be fine. And I, I, there's, I think there's less distractions going into next season than there has been the last two, three years because there was the uncertainty with Green. Then the Rutherford made uncertainty with Boudreaux. And, well, what are they going to do with Miller? What are they going to do with Horvat? What are they, there's also the, the what ifs. What are they going to do? A lot of that's gone. So I think it should be a lot better this time around. Time will tell. Time yeah. will really tell on that one. The Canucks have the pieces in place. I think they they've got good players. They've got good young players. I can I you and I both said it heading into this year. We thought that the the Pacific Division was going to go through Canada, Western Canada, and it hasn't. <laughs> but I do believe Vancouver might be able to you know make that step next year and get back to relevancy. There's just there, there's a lot of good players on that team, and it's, they have to avoid the off ice that they really do. Yeah. 
so let's switch gears here. Let's talk about the Calgary Flames. I, I think many would say the Calgary Flames have been a bigger disappointment than the Vancouver Canucks this year. There was talk that the Calgary Flames might be Stanley Cup contenders. You know, they took a very bad situation in the offseason, losing Goudreau and Kachuk and turning it into Kadri, Huberto, Uyghur. Some actually argued, and I was one that I actually thought they might be better. I thought that they might be more defensively sound. I thought they'd be tougher to play against. That hasn't been the case this year. Heading into, you know, next week, the Flames are six points out of a playoff spot. They just dropped a game against Anaheim, the the 29th or 30th place Ducks, with an absolutely listless effort. They had a chance to move within two points of a playoff spot. They're now six out, and, you know, they've got a few easy games coming up, but there is no easy game for the Calgary Flames. There isn't. The Calgary Flames actually have a better points percentage against playoff teams than non-playoff teams. That that's just unacceptable. Like consistency has been non-existent for the Calgary Flames. They have not outside of maybe the first six games of the season when they were five and one, they were scoring. Their power play looked incredible in the first few games of the season. Their goaltending was holding up. They had a killer start and they looked like the real deal. And my God, ever since those first six games of the season, it has been a roller coaster. You know, win two, lose two, win one, lose two, win three, lose four, lose five, win two. It has been so up and down. I don't know what the problem is. I, I, I've got kind of three, maybe four things that I, I'm really going to blame it on. Goaltending. Goaltending has not been good enough. Jacob Markstrom struggled to start the season up until the last couple of weeks. He's had a couple of stretches where he's been really good. Dan Vladar had a couple of stretches where he's really good, but Dan Vladar has been absolute garbage in his last 10 games that he's played. I think he's had a save percentage above 900 once. He's lost to that entirely. It's Jacob Markstrom's to run with. The goaltending has not been good enough, but I'm going to take this in another spin here. Even if the goaltending had been good enough, I don't know that this team's much further ahead than where they are. And the reason I say that, Jacob Markstrom in his last, I think, five or six starts is playing to a 930 save percentage, a 2.2 goals against average, and the team's still two and three in those five starts. They've been getting world-class goaltending now for a little over a week, and they're still not winning. So goaltending has been a major problem this year. But again, I don't think it's the only problem. Consistency is is the biggest problem. But the, the second one I want to make, special teams. The Flames special teams have been – they put the special in special teams. <laughs> Their power play is awful. I think it's operating around 18%, 24th in the league, something like that. This team can't score a power play goal when it matters. They can they can score a power play goal in the first period, sure. They can score one in the second period, sure. This team can't score a power play goal when it matters. Down one in the third and you get a power play, they don't score. Tied in the third, you get a power play to take the lead, they don't score. 
This team can't get a clutch power play goal to save its life. Look at the team three hours north of here in the city you reside in in Edmonton. The only reason the Edmonton Oilers have 80 points and the Flames have 71, the Oilers can score power play goals. The Oilers are terrible at five on five. But the Oilers have special teams. The Oilers have a power play that can score that big goal. That's the difference in these teams. The Flames can't get a power play goal to save their life. They also have really fallen off a cliff on their penalty killing. They were top five in the league for the first half of the season. They're now down at like 16th or 17th in the league. Well, that means that they've been operating around 25th, 26th in the league for the last 20 something games. So you got a power play that's operating 25th in the league. You got a penalty kill that's operating at 25th in the league. Can't score, can't kill a penalty. That's just, that is not a recipe for success. So goaltending, special teams, they put the special in special teams. Consistency amongst the forwards. Oh my goodness. This team can't get all of its guys firing at one time. This team has Tyler Toffoli as their leading scorer. Great on Tyler Toffoli, but Tyler Toffoli cannot be your leading scorer. He's got, what, 57 points or something like that? 55 55 points in 62 games. This team's not even going to have a a 70-point player on it. You know, Elias Lindholm has has 53 points. Elias Lindholm should be a 70 to 80 point guy. He's only got 18 goals. Nazem Kadri started out like the world on fire. I was raving in his first 20 games how good this player was. Nazem Kadri has fallen off a cliff in the last, I'm going to say, 40 games. He's got two goals in his last 17 games. And the thing, too, like defensively, he's minus 14. Exactly. Like this team's supposed to be deep down the middle, hard to play against. Elias Lindholm is a minus one. There's no way Elias Lindholm should be a minus player. Nazem Kadri's minus 14. He's worse good than Michael, Yeah, good on Michael Backlund. He's plus 17. That's what Michael Backlund is. But that's another issue. Michael Backlund's your fourth leading scorer. Michael Backlund is having one of his best seasons ever. But this is what Michael Backlund is, is he's a 40 to 50 point guy who's going to give you just solid minutes. You build hockey teams around Michael Backlund on the third line, but Kadri hasn't been good enough. Lindholm has been okay, but not great. Huberto has been a major disappointment. I'm going to chalk that one up a little bit to usage, you know, playing on his offside. Like he's been playing right wing, not left wing. He led the league. He set a record for assists for a left winger last year. And the Calgary Flames aren't deploying him as a left winger. Like, that, that's craziness to me. You played him with Milan Lucic for 20 games. You've been playing him with a rookie for 10 games. Like, put Jonathan Huberto with your best players. They started out with a line of Huberto, Lindholm, and Toffoli. Those are your three best offensive players. They played about 10 games together, and they haven't played together since. What is wrong with letting your best offensive players play together and try to sort it out? So the the forward, the consistency of the forwards has been nowhere near good enough. Andrew Mangiapane, this guy got paid $6 million in the offseason to produce. He's got 13 goals. 
He's got 32 points in 66 games. Like, you can't have Mangiapane scoring 13 goals. He's got two goals in his last 15 games. He's being paid to produce now, so he has to produce. Some of the lone bright spots up front, Dylan Dubé has 17 goals this year. You know, he's going to probably hit 20, club maybe, maybe get close to 25. That's a great season for Dylan Dubé. But even you've seen the consistency there. Blake Coleman might get 20 goals. Like he's at 14 now. He could crack, you know, 15, 20. That's a good season from Blake Coleman. Michael Backlund is having a good season. But outside of that, the consistency is it's just not there in the forward groups. The defense has been okay, but you just get these brain farts. Nikita Zadorov jumping up to make a big hit that leads to a a tying goal against the Bruins with four minutes. So like, what are you doing? There's just no, there's just brain farts everywhere. The fourth point I want to get to. So you got the goaltending, you got the special teams, you got the forwards consistency coaching. I'm not on the fire Daryl Sutter train, but I don't believe this team is reacting well to Daryl Sutter. And I'm not going to put a hashtag fire Sutter on Twitter, but I do believe that they may need to actually move on from Daryl Sutter this summer. The team just doesn't seem inspired there. They're, you get so many dreadful efforts, lacking emotion, lacking passion. You get your playoff lives on the line. You get the 29th place team in your building and you lay a dud on Friday night. Like there's just no passion there's no consistency to score goals. You know, Daryl Sutter is insistent on rolling out Milan Lucic every game. I'm okay with Lucic playing, but does he need to play every game? Does he? Can you, like, maybe put Walker Dewar back in the lineup? I don't know that Lucic should be playing 70, 70 games. Lucic should be playing 50 games, 60 games, rotate them in and out. I'm I'm not on the fire Sutter, but I do subscribe to the fact that there's something wrong in that locker room and the team is not reacting well to Daryl Sutter. Maybe it's just, you know, guys like Huberto, Uyghur, Kadri aren't used to that style. Maybe they'll get used to it. It took Goudreau and Kachuk a season to get used to it and then they lit it up. But something's missing. There's a passion that's missing. And there's a, a a sense of creativity that's missing. There's a sense of making, there's a sense of killer instinct that's missing. There's a sense of, there's they're fragile. You know, third period up a goal, you know they're going to give up the tying goal because they've done it 30 times this year in the third period. They've given up the tying goal in the third period. Like, they're so fragile, which is, tells leads me to believe they're not ready to play. And they're not gelling. And I put a lot of that on the coach. So I'm, this could be an absolutely fascinating offseason in Calgary. Uh, I don't know where it's going to go. So I, I'm kind of going to throw a couple other things in there you didn't touch in. I, when you talk about the forwards and the points, and this is kind of just go with yours, I, I did a comparison is kind of when I brought it up. And then you were talking about teams. I brought up the Canucks stats on NHL.com. Your top scorer on your team would be fifth on the Canucks. Now you have, now again, a lot of our guys have a lot more minuses next to their numbers in, in that stat line, 
But when the Canucks, who right now are a much worse off team, we're not fighting for the playoffs. But when like it's not like you've got eight guys that are all 55, 60 points. Like, no, you like Tyler Toffoli would be fifth on the Canucks. And then you'd smatter in your 40, 30 guys on a little more than that range than the Canucks have. That's a big issue when you're fighting for playoff spot and you don't like there's a difference between having a couple guys scoring. But even still at 55 points, that's not great. You're not going to have, like you say, a point per game guy on your team. And that goes to my one point when you talked about the goaltending not being great. Jacob Marsham has got zero run support. I was just going to bring that up. <clears throat> right. Like any like Bladar gets the goals, but he doesn't make the saves. Right. Both of them are are guilty of allowing a goal on the first two shots, if not both. You have both, you know, first two shots of the game. And whether that's a killer for the team, I don't know. Um, the blown leads, like you guys are in competition with the Canucks. Like you guys blow a lot of leads through a game. The Canucks do too. They're, the not, Canucks, they're fragile. Yeah, the Canucks do multi-goal <laughs> blown leads. Uh, to But you guys are right there with them for blowing leads in a game, big games, right? Like, and you just, like you say, they don't have that killer instinct to come back in a game they don't have the power play to do it their their penalty kill is giving up those leads um they also don't have making the one goal lead a two goal lead they don't have that killer instinct to score that third goal to go up three one it shows in the stat line right when 26 when you might have one 30 goal score when the Canucks are potentially looking at three 30 goal scores if jt miller can get six more over the course of the last 17 games the Canucks could have three goal, three 30 goal scorers. The Flames would have maybe one. And that's, you guys got to find that consistency. Because as you said, it's no different than the Canucks. There's too many good players on this team for them to be where they are right now. And to move on to the next point, which is your last one, you talked about Daryl Sutter. When they brought him back in, I said this to you last year. I said, has the game passed Daryl Sutter? And you said it. It took a year for Johnny and um, Matthew, you know, Goudreau and Kachuk to find the Sutter way. And they had great years. But what did they both do? Goudreau bolted. And Kachuk said, I'm not resigning. So that's great. They had great years. They used it to get paid elsewhere. So is that them at the overall? Or was that Fuck this! I'm not playing for Sutter, right? It's so, very well no, could be. I, just speculating, or for the sake of the conversation. But I said to you when they brought him back, has the game passed Daryl Sutter? Because you brought up Trevor Lewis is averaging 12 minutes, 17 seconds a game. Milan Lucic, 11 and a half minutes. Um, break it down. Michael Stone, 13 point. Well, I know he's a defenseman, but still, right? Like he's a guy who's playing 13 minutes a game. Brett Ritchie was nine and a half minutes. Uh, where did he go? Dennis Gilbert's 11 and a half. Nick Ritchie's up to 14 minutes a game in his first three games with the Flames. Those are not the guy. I mean, Kevin Rooney was at nine minutes, but he only played what, 17 games. Those are not the guys that are going to move the needle and put, you know, Daryl says he likes W's. He likes wins. Well, those aren't the guys that are going to get you the wins. Right, like people complain about, oh, you're playing your top players too much. Guess what? 
those are the guys you want on the ice when it matters to get the W. And I think they're 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 the reason you're your they're your top players. They're your best players. Yeah. Like I look at somebody like Jonathan Huberto, who's had his ice time slash significantly this year to what he's used to. What's wrong with having Jonathan Huberto on the ice and not Milan Lucic? Take two minutes of Milan Lucic's time and give a minute to Huberto and a minute to Lindholm. Like let your best players be on the ice a little bit more. I get that he likes the roll four lines, try to keep it fresh. But when you're down 2-1 late in the third, and there's four minutes left and you've got Milan Lucic on the ice. Well, why? Why? Yeah. I Roll three lines at that point. Like, I, I don't want to blame Sutter, but I do believe he does play a part in this. And I... I don't know if he'll be back next year. I don't think I don't. there's anything wrong with saying that Sutter is like Sutter is not the fit for the team. There's nothing wrong with saying that because you can't expect guys like Foley and Lindholm and, and Huberdo to play the style that Sutter wants. Kadri probably is a Sutter player with more talent or more offensive talent, right? But you you don't Coleman. Yeah, those guys, they're not Sutter type players, right? Well, like, Coleman no, is okay, but like we can go back to the when Huberto left the bench earlier in the season, right? We've talked about it before when he's like, Oh, I don't know, he was taking a shit or something. Well, apparently, that comment really irked players. You had Alan Walsh come out and make the comments about the locker room, you know, and he represents Huberto. And as they said on Hockey Night in Canada, an agent doesn't make comments unless the player knows and has signed off on. So you've got potentially your new soon-to-be $10 million man saying that it's not like there's issues with the locker room. I I just, to me, the Flames are a team that, if we were going to compare what, who of our team is a bigger disappointment, I would agree in that it's the, it's Flames, be the Flames because they were the they were the top team in the Pacific Division last year at the near the top of the Western Conference, and they are nine points or what? I'm not sorry, not points. Nine points behind the. Uh, They're six points out of eight. They're six yeah. points out of a playoff spot. And they've got Nashville in front of them. St. Louis really isn't on their heels because they're you know eight points back of the Flames, but you still got to get past the Jets, who are still a very good team, right? The Jets have seventy-seven points and could put Colorado back in uh well Colorado's got two games in hand and at 78 points but right like Winnipeg is not a team that's just in there making it they're in a very tough division and they're still have chance of getting third place in that division so the the team just doesn't look like they're having fun they really don't and that that's that's why I'm like Again, I'm not trying to blame Daryl Sutter because I, I I think it's it's a culmination of a lot of things. Sutter does play a part in it. But to go from a team that was so good to last year to a team that is just so fragile this year, well, it looks like they're having no fun. Well, then to me, you have to look at the coach as being an issue. And yeah. maybe – and you're, you're tied up to Huberto, Kadri, and Uyghur for – eight more years you better figure out quickly what it's going to take to get those guys fired and i actually very much like mckenzie weaver this year he's only a one goal that's fine his actual he's been good a good player on this team 
you've got to figure out what it is that gets Jonathan Huberto going. And Jonathan Huberto is here for eight more years. I'll tell you right now, Daryl Sutter ain't going to be here for eight more years. So do you have to potentially look at cutting bait now and going, sorry, we have to pick Huberto over Daryl Sutter because he's here for eight more years. We have to get that. They might have to do that. Well, you got to look at it this way. To. If you ever get a new arena, who's going to be putting asses in seats? As he's referred to on Twitter, Dinosaur Daryl, Jonathan Huberto, firing on all eight cylinders. Jonathan Huberto. You mean it's not like, a tough to, it's not a tough choice. You pay Sutter, whatever. Like you're gonna have to if you cut bait, you gotta pay him what two more years? Yeah. Right? Who like gives a shit? The Canucks are paying three coaches this year. Like if, <laughs> if, if if it's the right move, then you gotta make it. Right? Like yeah, the Canucks are paying Travis Green, Boost Brujo, and Rick Tockett this year. And it's stupid, but it's what the organization felt they had to do. You and, have and you, to this isn't even about Jonathan Huberto. You have to get Jonathan Huberto and Elias Lindholm. And I'm even going to say Andrew Maggiapani firing on all cylinders. This team, if if each, if each of those guys have 10 more goals this year, playing just to their average, you know, Andrew Maggiapani is a 20, I'm going to say a 25 to 30 goal guy now. He should be there. If he has 10 more goals, if Huberto is touching on the 30 goals he scored last year and has even 20 right now, Lindholm scored 40 something last year and he's got 18. Get like if you're talking about 30 more goals scored by the Calgary Flames right now, you're talking about a Calgary Flames team that's probably near the top of the division. Yeah. You guys have scored 201 goals, given up 203. Like that's the St. Louis Blues have scored more goals at 202. You go down the list, like, I mean, obviously after the, the Canucks have got 221, but like even looking at your last 10, 3, 5, and 2, for a team fighting for a playoff spot, that's not good enough. Like, you're it's right not. there. Winnipeg is the same. Winnipeg has a seven-point, or sorry, six-point cushion on you guys. They can afford a little bit of a oopsie because they have the points. You guys don't. And, and it, it's just... It's crazy. I, it's, I, it's, I, 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 it seems I too good. It's, they're too good to be this bad. You could understand and, the the new players, new organization let down for about maybe twenty games, yeah. Because it takes time through training camp, the first little bit, the road trips, the practices to build that chemistry. But after twenty, let's even say thirty games, you should have your shit together, and your shit should be coming together within those games, right? You you've been around the guys more. You you get the chance to build that bond, that chemistry, it shouldn't be this way. And it's, the, it's weird. The reason I think the Flames might make a coaching change is because you're tied to this team, but you're also really only tied to this team for one more year. Because at, after next year, Michael Backlund, UFA. Elias Lindholm, UFA. Tyler Toffoli, UFA. Noah Hannafin, UFA. Chris Tanev, UFA. Nikita Zadorov, UFA. There are a ton of UFAs on this team after next year. You can't have another season like this year, next year, because then you're looking at all hell breaking. Oliver Shillington, another guy who hasn't been around, UFA. You're looking at all hell breaking loose with all your top players being UFAs. 
Now, I'm not saying they're going to lose them all, but are they going to be as likely to sign if there's a Daryl Sutter issue here? I don't know that they are. I, I've i never been on the fire Sutter train, but I honestly believe they might. I believe they might just because there's too much riding on next season to not do something. Well, and that's the thing is coming up, you're going to have like Troy Stetcher, whatever. He was an add-in at the deadline, but you've got four of your well, three and a half. Dennis Gilbert's one of them, but you got like a lot of guys on defense that are going to be coming up. Your defense core after next season could look completely different and maybe oh, yeah. it should maybe um but you know like you're looking at a guy like christopher Tan- chris tanev 33 right now he'll be 34 at the end of that season are you gonna pay him again right Probably not. i love i love chris tanev he's a great player great teammate he heart and soul guy but he's not worth four and a half million at that age right you get an Alex Sedler situation. Are you going to keep paying him a little bit to stick around? Who knows? But yeah. you also have to look at this because you, you brought it up. Backland, you know, Lucic will be gone, but Lindholm to Foley. Uh, those guys are all going to be UFAs. Mangiapani's got a couple more years. He's only got one more year left in the others. Yeah. Um, sure, you're you're, pot have, com- you're you're pot committed to this team. You got eight million season. freeing up in. Lucic and uh, what's a Nick Ritchie off the books, but but that's again, already going to Huberto's raise. Huberto exactly. and are getting raises. Yeah, the Flames have and, no cap space next year, so you're and, you're pot committed to this team. Yeah. yeah, a lot of holes to fill, but you also have to look at it like the Canucks, where Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko are like, we're not being here for a rebuild. We we want to win. This is our time. We want to win. We want to play to win. What is Kadri, Huberdeau, Coleman, Anderson, Weger going to say? Markstrom. Markstrom's 33 right now. What are those guys going to want to do? Because if it comes to it where you keep Daryl and he keeps bringing in the Milan Luciches of the world, they're not going to be happy, especially if it's the same thing where it's the regression versus progress. Are they going to say... We want to win. We don't want to rebuild. We don't like, you know what I mean? Like fix this now. Yeah. You got a lot of money tied up and we haven't talked about him yet. But Bradtree living didn't do much of anything to improve a roster that needed a kick in the ass for a playoff push. He's out. He's, he is out of contract at the end of the season. I will say I'm surprised. Yeah, well, true, but like it, it's tough. But you got to think like you got to make some moves. You, you, yeah, like he should have. To me, I don't think he necessarily did enough to try and help this team. Like this is a team that needed something, and he did. Like it's like changing the gas cap and the the muffler cover. Versus, you know, going out and get a new transmission or a new battery in the car to get it going. I, I I was really surprised he, like, I'm not saying a big splash, but something I think could, like, how he could have done something to make a bit of an impact on this team to say, hey, I'm committed. I believe in you guys. This is what I can think you do. Because right now it looks like, well, we'll bring in these guys and whatever happens, happens. It's up to you to figure out. 
anything the Flames should have done should have happened 20 games ago. Not by the time we got to the deadline, it was too late to do anything of significance. This team should have been looking at doing something 20 games ago, and they very well probably were. And just they could make it, they they didn't have cap space either. So, but Daryl, not Daryl, Brad may have also realized there's a problem. The the Toronto managed to find cap space and ways to do it to try and win around, right? Like whether what Toronto did was right or wrong for, for how their team was built in changing over almost a third of their roster. But like Toronto found ways with their cap situation, right? I was just surprised. So you talk about Daryl potentially not being there next year. Trading's out of contract. Yeah. So are you going to be going into the season with a new GM and new coach? Because if you don't bring Brad back, Who's to say that the new GM is going to want to keep Dar- like you know you, you get the new GM new coach usually yeah right like it's a big thing and that that you need to figure that out almost the day your season ends so that you can get rolling pre-draft and get your organization set up you can't yeah. do it after the draft because so much can happen at that time if I was the owner of the Flames I'd be bringing Tree Living back and and Daryl would be the one going but I don't know that that's gonna be what happens i don't it's not isn't it murray edwards who really pushed like sounds like he's the one that he wants yep that, that's there the versus, rumor so yeah that's the rumor but you know missing the playoffs with a team this good that you're max capped out on might change his perspective a little bit <laughs> yeah very possible oh well yeah but it's I, been I, a very I, disappointing I, season as i was just about to say for both of us it's been yes tremendously disappointing seasons. Like I normally watch 82 of 82 flames games a year. I've probably missed five, six games this year. That's unheard of. I never don't watch games. And I've had a few instances where I'm like, ah, I can miss the first period. No big deal. I'm, I'm not like that. And I'm kind of disenfranchised with this team because they're just, they're missing. They're just no passion. And that's unheard of for me. I watch every game. I watch every period of every game. And this yeah. year I'm even like, uh, like, I don't really need to watch the flames game tonight. <laughs> I, I still watch every game, but um, whether my attention is fully there, the game is on, but I might be scrolling on Twitter or something else. Yeah. And like, even when they score, like I used to get all, like, you know, cheer the goal and whatever. And, you know, the wife's been on the couch. She's like, aren't you going to cheer? I'm like, they no like it they're still gonna fuck it up some way like it's just how it yeah <laughs> like when the game's over and they got the w then i'll be like yeah but not yeah. not before then yeah well flames fans canucks fans we'd love to hear from you guys on twitter reach out i'm at the bleacher con one local flames guy ken is at the bleacher con two the local canucks guy what's the problem is it Daryl in Calgary? Is it the off-ice issues in Vancouver? We'd love to hear from you guys on Twitter. Yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting. Um, the final stretch will be will be somewhat fun to watch. There's a lot going on. I know everyone was making a big deal about Leafs and Oilers game last night because you know, the two top Canadian teams and could be a Stanley Cup matchup. And it's like, no, no, it's not. You're making a lot more. You made a mountain out of a molehill. The 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 Oilers have a 124-point player and are only nine points ahead of the Flames for fighting for a playoff spot right now. It's That team should be a lot better based on who they have. But you know, maybe we'll talk about the Oilers next week and 
why they are where they are with such a talented player in Connor McDavid. But there's always lots to go on, lots of sports to cover. If you're looking for more sports, check out bellyupsports.com. Check out all the articles, all the always new podcasts coming out, new podcasts joining the network. Check them out. Lots of great ones on there. Uh, that's our show for this week. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.